Our theme today is Christ's call to mission, to proclaim Christ, his ultimate authority, of which we've just heard, the door he has opened forever into the presence of our holy yet forgiving God. The language in this particular address to a church is no less complicated, nor the imagery, uh, than the previous ones. We need to be careful to bridge or mind the gap of 2,000 years. I hope to help make clear what is said, by whom, and its relevance to us today. So let's pray for the Holy Spirit too, to illuminate and bring to life this, his word. Father, bless you that it's not what I say that is important, but what your spirit is saying to the churches, to this church, to us, to me. And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak into and apply your truth to our lives here today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, I think step one is to step deliberately into the shoes of the church in Philadelphia. Because only if we do that, if we take ourselves to the place of being addressed by the one who speaks, do we understand or even begin to hear what he might be saying. And we obviously have to have, for like two years, we have to be hearing as if we were the Philadelphians, but maybe we can also be hearing an echo down the ages that applies, because there are parallels that we can feel as we stand in that position between where we are and where the Philadelphian church was. So it's a prosperous city. Well, that cap fits if you're sitting here, doesn't it? It was the centre of trade on a a number of trade routes. Who was being addressed? Well, a small church in the middle of a very powerful state. So a minority church. Well, we're not a majority church anymore, are we? It feels as though we're a misunderstood minority and the culture the prevailing culture was all pervading and all powerful strong and very definitely not Christian with many gods, many temples many narratives that uh, drew people's worship and attention and the Roman state was immensely powerful if you stepped out of line you were in trouble If you accommodated, you were fine. The power of the state and the emperor was undoubtedly to be feared, so long as you aligned with the assumed values of that state. It feels as though the Philadelphian church, because of some of the things that are said, felt weak and powerless 
in the face of these prevailing values, world and culture. They were small. They felt small. Echoes of people visiting the promised land and feeling that everybody else around them was giants. What did that lead to? 40 years in the wilderness because they hadn't the courage to do what God asked them to do. And there is active, it emerges, and vitriolic opposition from apparent brothers and sisters in the faith. Those who purported to be Jews. Did you hear that phrase? In other words, followers of God, descendants of Abraham, who ridiculed belief in Jesus Christ and questioned his authority, questioned the repentance he called for and the forgiveness he offered. So the underlying question for these Philadelphians is, do you believe you are the people of God? Or do you doubt that? Remember the framework I offered a couple of weeks ago. Look in these letters at who speaks, who is particularly identified as speaking, what he knows, sees and says, what grieves or concerns him deeply, what he asks of them, what he promises them. I have to say that in this particular letter, the last three of those are all rather interwoven, but if you ask good questions to ask. And the first and most important thing is who is speaking? Who is identified as speaking? Well, it's there, if you wanted to turn to it, on page 244, to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, verse 7, write, these are the words of the Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David. In other words, this is a statement, you might say, we've looked at Matthew, at the end of Matthew's Gospel, what was, it, what was the point of all those genealogies at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel? To say, this person, Jesus, is a descendant directly from David. He is David's anointed successor. He is of the divinic line. If you like, though it doesn't say it expressly there, he holds the keys of David. That's what's being said here. This one who speaks is the Messiah, is the promised and anointed one, is the true Israel and the true David. And he is the holy one and the true one. If anybody can genuinely see the truth and be the truth, if anyone is genuinely holy, it's a little frightening and we ought to listen to what they say. The only one who is holy and the only one is tr- who is true or truth. And what is being said by implication is stay true to me and I will stay true to you. And you will be God's true family. What does it go on to say? It says, he is the one who opens and no one will shut. Who shuts and no one opens. 
I mean, can, can you hear the audacity, if you like, of that claim? So there's all these, all these powers that appear to control. Is that what it feels like today? There are other things, other influences, other people that seem to control the world and our lives. Here is the one who opens and shuts all the doors, who is speaking. Here is the one who is in fact in control and opens and shuts the doors of opportunity in our lives. I think, again in Matthew's Gospel, of Matthew 16, 16 to 19. Do you know what that passage is about? Uh, So this is the passage where Peter discovers something amazing and is then told he's the rock on which the the church will be built. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God, 1615. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you. I tell you, you are Peter, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. See, that's the same image, isn't it? Jesus has the keys. He will give them to Peter. Because he, Jesus, is the one who opens and shuts. And he delegates to Peter that that good news to proclaim. That if the way is opened to anyone, they will be able to enter freely into God's kingdom, into heaven on earth. Who opens, he is the one who opens and no one will shut. So, The second question, what does he see or know or say, affirm or encourage? Again, this is is what this sweep of letters to the churches tells us. I hope you've acknowledged it. I know your works. God sees. Jesus sees everything you do, everything you offer, both good and bad. So he knows their works and says, look, I have set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. Well, what door is he talking about? I think he's talking actually about, well, two doors, if you like, or maybe they're the same door. The one is the way to salvation, isn't it? What did did Jesus say to his followers when he was about to die? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I can open the door to heaven and I fix it open and you are welcome in my name. So it's the door of salvation, but it's also a door for the gospel. So this weak minority church... God has opened the door in the middle of this trade route, Philadelphia, for them to proclaim that truth. And no one can shut that door. 
or, by implication, put out your light, weak though it may feel. He goes on. Uh, well, perhaps you should have in mind. Do you, do, you, do you remember the prayers in Colossians 4 uh, that uh, David, sorry, Paul, Paul wrote? Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray for us, that is for the very shy Paul, as well, that God will open to us a door for the word that we may declare the mystery of Christ for which I am in prison. Paul understood God, Jesus, opens the doors of opportunity only for us to walk through them and that we need prayer that the doors are open or that we see the open doors. But Jesus speaking, the one speaking, goes on. I know that you have but little power and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Uh, this is where those three things begin to be interwoven. But just let's listen to the first bit. I know again that you have but little power. I wonder whether you, though it was addressed to the Philadelphians, can inhabit that phrase. Jesus knows that you feel as though you have little power. Maybe you don't think you have any influence. And yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. There are two things that are clearly important to Jesus. That his followers, that his people, that those who trusted him are obedient to his word and do not deny his name. Are not afraid to share their faith in his name. Do not stay silent. And he affirms them for keeping uh, my word and not denying my name. So does he speak to us in the face of uncertainty or threat or weakness, real or perceived, and say, I know you are weak. But I'm delighted when you are faithful to my word and you don't deny but declare my name and my truth in the places where you feel most weak and vulnerable, perhaps. So these two things, his word and uh, our faithfulness to it and our speaking for him are important to Jesus and it grieves him when we don't. So what grieves him? What does he say? What, he, what does he ask? I think these are uh, woven together here. Firstly, I think verse 9, I wonder if you hear it said to you, I, basically, what does he say? I shorthanded it. I will deal with those who are opposed to you. It's graphic language. I think we need to sort of, it's quite hard to get accurately to what it means. But I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews and not, but are lying, I will make them do what? Come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you because you were obedient to my word and faithful in proclaiming my name. So I'm in control And there'll come a day when they 
who are so proud and arrogant and opposing and dismissive and distorting of the truth will bow before you because you were faithful, because you spoke the truth in love. Verse 10 continues, Because you have kept my word of patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world. I am coming, verse 11, hold fast. This is what he says to them. Hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Hang on a minute. I thought the Philadelphian Philadelphian church were weak and had no power. No, no, no. You have a crown. You have a a kingly inheritance. You can enter the kingdom of God like royalty because you trust in Jesus who opens the door for you and welcomes you in as sons as he is in the kingdom of heaven. So we have this amazing crown the Philadelphians did and we do. It's beyond price. And better still, have you heard of pillars of the church? We say that phrase, don't we? Pillars of the church. Well, here are pillars of the church. If you conquer, I will make you a pillar in the temple of my God. It's a physical image for a spiritual living reality. The people who are faithful and stand up for God's word the people who declare his, him and his truth are pillars of the church, and that's you, if you do those things. And sometimes it's costly. I think this speaks into uh, some of the challenges of the present week, this last week for the church. How does one stay true to the words, commands, and teachings of Jesus? Matthew 28, he didn't say, just follow me. He said, Teach people to obey every word I have commanded. And if you remember, in Matthew 5, he took the words and principles of God and said, these need to apply to everything you do in secret, everything in your mind, everything in your heart. I raise the standards, I don't lower them for what living with integrity and in submission and obedience to God means. So this can be challenging. But it does speak to us today. And more than that, he goes on to promise. I'll write your name. I'll write you uh, the name of my, on you, the name of my God. And the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem that come down from heaven. And my own new name. Uh, So he's, he's just describing in greater and greater depth the inheritance that is ours as we persist. And are willing to be his missioners in the world. Just as Matthew 16 was about affirming Peter's recognition of Jesus as the rock and the foundation of faith and the saviour of the world, so we are encouraged here to hold fast. Just as the Jesus who commanded uh, us to go and make disciples had all authority and therefore said go and proclaim, so here this Jesus is standing saying 
Don't waver. Hold fast. Realise you have a crown. Don't think you're powerful. I will honour you if you honour me. And by the way, I hold open the door for you in the middle of your ordinary life to speak of me and be faithful to my word. And when we are shaken, when we are knocked off course, when we have roller coaster weeks or months, which we, I think, are having as a church over a number of things at the moment, we need to remember to be bolder and more fearless and to be steadfast in living and proclaiming the good news of Jesus. Francis asked me to quote these verses or this verse in a different translation. Here it is. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Play your part in living and proclaiming the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ today. Amen.